Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church, and we are located in the Hickory section of Chesapeake. We'd love to have you come and worship with us. If you're looking for a church home, come on and check us out. Uh, We are at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, and uh, we have a whole lot of things going on for the kids, a whole lot of things going on for students, and uh, we love to worship. We love to serve. Uh, We have small groups that meet throughout the Hickory section and Moyoc section of North Carolina. So come on and check us out. I think you feel right at home with us. And I want to thank you for listening to the broadcast. And if you'd like to support this broadcast, you can certainly send in a check to Hickory Ridge Community Church and this market for the broadcast. This is a ministry of our church. Uh, You can also go online to hrcc7.org and uh, you can give that way. And if you'd like to know more information about our church, if you just Google in Hickory Ridge Community Church, Chesapeake, Virginia, our website will come up. Well, today I want to talk to you about a game changer in your life, reminding you that salvation is the best gift of all, but sometimes it involves suffering. Now, if you have never personally suffered for your faith, you ought to be very grateful. But I want you to know that our faith in the future may cost us something. You know, Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. An average of 200 Christians around the world are killed each month for their faith. There's 60 countries that face persecution for being Christians. As a matter of fact, I have a a member in our church and they leave their Christmas tree up all year. And uh, it's kind of a thematic type tree. And right now they've got their Christmas tree decorated with 60 crosses on their tree. And these 60 crosses all have a name of a country. Uh, So Nigeria is on there, Uh, North Korea is on there, all these countries where it is illegal to proclaim the gospel, where Christians face persecution, more than 60, I think it's up to 66 countries right now, that Christians will face persecution from the governments of these countries. Well, the third thing about persecution, one of the world's worst countries for persecution is North Korea. With the exception of four officially state-controlled churches, uh, Christians in North Korea can either worship under one of these four state-controlled churches, or they cannot worship at all. And if they get caught worshiping Jesus, they're given the option to go to a detention prison camp, or they face torture, and in some cases, they may even be executed for practicing their faith. North Koreans have suspended all contact with South Koreans when it comes to matter of foreign missions, and it's just unbelievable. If you get caught with a Bible in North Korea, for example, you will be executed. You know, the conditions of this country are the worst of all of the countries that I can think of. When you look at all these countries that are being persecuted or offering persecution to those who are followers of Christ, Christians face persecution with even countries that have large Christian populations, like Nigeria. And Nigeria claims to have a, about a 40% Christian population, and most of that is in the southern part of Nigeria. And you go to the northern part, uh, is basically a Muslim-run country. Now, to try to, to kind of swell this persecution, what they've done in Nigeria, they say, well, if we uh, elect a president who's a Christian, that president must have a Muslim vice president, and vice versa. But that hasn't stopped the persecution. It continues on. Well, persecution is really nothing new for the church. Now, as Americans, we are very fortunate because we haven't really faced what I would call hard persecution. We have soft persecution, and things may change. So the reason I'm giving this series of messages is so that we can be prepared. I think everybody 
who is a believer in Christ ought to have what I would call a doctrine of persecution. What is going to happen to me? How am I going to respond if I'm persecuted for my faith? What are the non-negotiables in my life that I'm willing to put my life on the line for? In Acts chapter 4, there are five major persecutions of the church within the first 10 years of the church. It's unbelievable to see what is happening in the early stages of the church. 100 million Christians today are being persecuted. As I think about this, this kind of blows my mind. One of the things I have noticed as I talk to pastors who are are serving in countries where there's persecution, they rarely, if ever, ask that the persecution will stop. Their prayer is that the church will remain remain strong, doctrinally pure, that they won't cave into the persecution, because they understand that persecution is not necessarily bad for the church. Now, it makes it more difficult, but persecution does not slow down the gospel. I want to encourage you today that if you're going through a time of persecution, maybe it's not to the degree that our Nigerian believers or North Korean believers or or China believers are going through. If you're going through a time where there's pressure in your life, we learn from 1 Peter 1, in all of this, all this suffering, greatly rejoice. Though not for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, when Christ is revealed. Then you have not seen him, you love him, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy." For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you see the the connection here, salvation and suffering. They work together. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons I am a follower of Christ is because the Christian faith is the only faith that I know of that adequately addresses this matter of suffering. We suffer because we are sinners. Will we have our sins forgiven? Those who have not had their sins forgiven cannot, because of jealousy, understand why we could be so happy. They don't understand the hope that lies within us. Our job is to, with gentleness and respect, convince them that the reason that we're different is not because we're better than them, but because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The enemy of our souls, the devil, Lucifer, and his legions of demons cannot handle God being glorified. So when God is glorified through our lives and through our testimonies, the enemy will do anything he can to discourage us. He knows he can't do anything with our salvation. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to get you so discouraged, so filled with fear, fear of persecution, fear of what's going to happen. And as a result, you won't share the gospel. Verse number 10, going back to 1 Peter. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke the things that have been told to you by those who had preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even the angels longed to look into these things. I want you to know that, that Peter is not not minimizing the pain and suffering that the church is facing. He's not saying, well, just get over it. He's not saying it's not really that bad. 
He's not saying, well, it's not real. He readily acknowledges that they are facing grief of all kinds of trials, not just one area, but in several areas. But he reminds us, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, I love the book of Philippians. This this week I was talking to somebody and they said, man, I'm just so discouraged. I'm battling anxiety. I'm battling depression. I said, would you read Philippians chapter 4? Maybe I should memorize it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul also said that same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says, rejoice evermore. I want you to know we can rejoice in struggles because these struggles are revealing what's within us. Again, Peter is not minimizing the pain and the suffering that the church is facing. He is realizing or he's wanting us to realize that we are facing grief of all kinds of trials. And this grief should bring out the joy that is deep within us. It was Søren Kierkegaard, and he was right when he said, life has to be lived forward, but can only be understood backwards. History does indeed repeat itself. There's a time when we haven't faced persecution, but we will face persecution. And so we look back to the times where we face persecution and others face persecution to learn how to move on ahead. So Peter says, well, listen, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as if this is strange, but rejoice. In other words, don't think wrong about persecution. Don't say, well, this is not supposed to happen to me. I'm a Christian. I'll bet nobody else is suffering like me. Listen, when you go down that path, that is a dead end path. We should expect persecution. Paul said to young Timothy, in fact, every one of you who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not an if or a maybe, it's a will. We will face persecution, yes. And everyone who wants to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Indeed, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the question is not, will I face persecution, but what level of persecution will I face? Because all Christians are going to suffer. Either you have or you will, or you're getting ready to suffer. In Acts chapter 14, we see the persecution of the church. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Here we see that Paul is converted in Acts chapter 9, and he becomes this amazing evangelist, right? And he's giving the gospel wherever he goes, and the Jews got ticked off. They started stoning Paul. They dragged him outside the city, and they left, and they thought he was dead. But then the disciples came along, and they gathered around him, and, and then he got up, and he did something unbelievable. Now, I don't know that I would do this. Paul gets up after they stoned him, and he goes back to the city, back to the place where they just stoned him. Well, the next day he left that city, and he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city, and they won a large number of the disciples. Then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And then Paul says this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is not saying hardships will give you a ticket to heaven. 
But if you have a ticket to heaven, you're going to have hardships. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders within the church, and they prayed and they fasted and they committed to the Lord, and they put their faith and trust in Christ. Wow, what an exciting story we find in Acts chapter 14. Jesus put it this way in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. In Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Paul says, I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we should expect persecution. And I don't say that from a negative standpoint. I say that from a positive standpoint so that you will be ready for it when it comes. Well, here's another question. Where should we expect persecution to come from? Paul told the Corinthian believers that they were pressed on every side. In other words, it came from every side of their lives, but they weren't crushed. They were perplexed, but they weren't in despair. They were persecuted, but they were never abandoned. They were struck down, but they weren't destroyed. Paul says we always carry about in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for the sake of Jesus so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in us. Wow. So we're dead and alive. We're dead people in that we have this dead body that one day is going to be separated from the soul, but we have the living Shekinah glory of God living within us. In these very short few verses, Paul lists several types of suffering, mental and physical and emotional and even spiritual. It was George Mueller who said, the only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. Well, what is the reason for suffering in the Christian life? We've learned so far today that we should expect it. It's going to come from all different areas. We're pressed on every side. Well, why are we going through this time of persecution? And what is the reason for this suffering? Well, we learn from Peter that suffering reveals the sincerity of my faith. These have come so that your faith may be proven, says Peter. In other words, the strength of my faith is proven when pressure is put on me. In Hebrews 10.22, we are told to draw near to God with a sincere heart and with all full of assurance that faith brings, having your heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This verse is so powerful because as we draw near to God with that sincere heart, our faith begins to build. And we learn that the trying of our faith produces perseverance, says James. When we look at the convictions that we have, every biblical conviction is a conviction that we should be willing to stand on. You see, the faith of our fathers was not a passive faith. They didn't sit around and do nothing. Those who suffer for righteousness are having the sincerity of their faith tested. And the leaders of the church came along and supported them, didn't criticize them. They celebrated with them. They prayed for them. They encouraged them. That's why we must be very careful when a brother or sister falls. Be very careful how you respond to that brother. 
Always encourage them. Always lift them up. Dale Carnegie said, Inaction breeds doubt and fear. Action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, do not sit at home and think about it. Go out and get busy. The same is true with our faith. Our faith was never designed to be a stagnant faith. It's always to be proven. It's always to be strengthened. There's something else about suffering. Suffering not only proves the sincerity of my faith, but it also displays the strength of my faith. Verse 8 says, Of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, the value of our faith is greater than gold. It's stronger than the American dollar. It's stronger than the world's economy. Don't fear pressure being placed upon your faith. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Don't worry about the judgments of men. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Well, I don't know about you, but I fear the disapproval of God much more than the disapproval of man. What can man do to me? The worst thing he can do is me is take my life. Jesus says, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. You see, our faith is strengthened when we go through times of persecution. Times of persecution reveal the sincerity of our faith. And then number three, times of persecution reveal the source of our faith. Where is your faith coming from? Verse number eight, though you have not seen him, that's Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. I love how that's put together, don't you? We don't see Jesus, but we believe him. We can't hug him, but we believe in him. And because of that, we're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. Tony Evans is a guy that's, I love to listen to him because he's very animated. He always has great illustrations. And one of the illustrations he shared not too long ago on one of his broadcasts, he entitled it, A Long Hangover. That kind of piqued my interest. He says, what did Jesus do 2,000 years ago? And what he started 2,000 years ago hasn't ended. His blood keeps on cleansing us from our sins. Jesus' blood is like an eternal hangover. When a person has a hangover, they're not drinking. They're just feeling the effects of that drink. Jesus is not still hanging on the cross. But the blood that he shed is so powerful that the hangover has lasted over 2,000 years. Isn't that a great truth? The blood of Jesus Christ is still cleansing us today. It was D.L. Moody when talking about the source of faith. He says, faith takes God without any ifs, ands, or buts. That is fully accepting God. Whatever happens in my life, I accept God what God has allowed in my life because I'm depending upon him and he's going to supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Well, we got to keep on moving. We've talked about persecution, how it it shows the sincerity of our faith, how it reveals the source of our faith and the strength of our faith. And it also reveals the source of our salvation. Peter says, you are receiving the end result of your faith. And what is that? The salvation of your souls. Now, now, this is amazing when you think about it. 
the result of my faith in Christ is that my soul is saved. What a great salvation. And then Peter spends verses 10, 11, and 12 talking about this great salvation that we have. He says, first of all, this salvation is so great, it was spoken of by the prophets as they were led by the Spirit of God. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. So the prophets spoke about the coming of the Messiah. The prophets spoke about this great salvation, and they were led by the Spirit of God. Now, this is so powerful. Don't miss this point. I think so many people have watered down the gospel that they forget that when people reject the gospel, they're not going to just spend a bad life on this earth. They're going to spend eternally separated from God. Paul was so moved that when he wrote Hebrews 2, verse number 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Paul is saying there is no escape for those who reject this great salvation. God has given us all these signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit so that the gospel can be given to us and we have no escape, no excuse. A.W. Tozer talked about the subject of being right with God. He says to be right with God often means that we're in trouble with men. When you're in trouble with men because you're right with God, you have nothing to fear. There's something else about our great salvation. It was not only spoken of by the prophets who were led by the Spirit. It was also searched for diligently. They searched intently with great care. Now, I said this thing is, is too important for us to get it wrong. It's too important for us to miss it. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the beginning of the unfolding of the gospel where we learn that we will bless those who bless Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. We see that God is establishing his people and God is allowing them to be the keepers of the gospel, but eventually it's going to be given to all people. In Zechariah 2.11, it says, Many nations will join them to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people, and I will live among them, and you will know them, and the Lord of heaven's armies sent me to them. And so here we see that it's even prophesied that Gentiles, many nations, would join in the gospel. As you search for the gospel, as you search the scripture, it always goes back to Christ. It always goes back to his plan for our lives. You say, why is the gospel so powerful? It's because it was secured by the suffering Savior. In verse number 11, it says, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ would return, pointing to that prediction of his suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Here's some glorious news. Just as Jesus died for our sins and he rose again the first time again, he came, he is coming back again. And he's promised to keep us safe and secure until that time takes place. A large jetliner was taking passengers to their destination when they went through some terrible turbulence. The plane went up and down, shaking and losing altitude. Everyone on the plane was hollering and screaming except the little girl who sat directly behind the cockpit. 
When everything returned to normal, a lady sitting next to the little girl leaned over and said, Man, I am impressed by your calmness. Everybody else on this plane was really upset, but you sat there as if everything was all right. Why are you so calm? The little girl replied, I wasn't afraid. I was afraid because my daddy is flying his plane, and he promised me that we would make it home safely. Hey, I want you to know, you're going to make it home safely. You're going to make it to the end of the purpose that God has for you. Don't give up. Don't quit. You know, the other thing about the power of the gospel is that we can see it shown as we are serving others. That's how we know the power of the gospel. David Paulson was a man who went through some fiery trials. But at the end of his life, he says, I went and I experienced these trials, but I experienced God. The more my trials increased, the more I experienced the love of Christ in my life. As you think about your life today, maybe you're going through a hard time. Man, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to lift you up. As I'm recording this broadcast, we have one of our church members in Chesapeake Regional Hospital. I'm praying for his full recovery. I'd love to pray for your recovery too. If you have a prayer request, you can text that prayer request to me at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. I will personally pray for you. I'll have our prayer team pray for you on Thursday morning at 5 a.m. We are here to pray for you because burdens are lifted at Calvary. Thank you so much for listening today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.